0: Welcome to this UbuLa Audio presentation of *Wicked Death by H.P. Lovecraft and Hazel Heal. Part 2 January 15th, 1932, a new year, and a reluctant reopening of this journal. This time I am writing solely to relieve my mind, for it would be absurd to fancy that the case is not definitely closed. I am settled in the Val Hotel, Johannesburg, under my new name, and no one has so far challenged my identity. I have had some inconclusive business talks to keep up my part as a mine broker, and I believe I may actually work myself into that business. Later I shall go to Toronto and plant a few evidences for my fictitious past. But what is bothering me is an insect that invaded my room around noon today. Of course, I have had all sorts of nightmares about blue flies of late, but those were only to be expected in view of my prevailing nervous strain. The thing, however, was a waking actuality, and I am utterly at a loss as to how to account for it. It buzzed around my bookshelf for fully a quarter of an hour and eluded every attempt to catch it or kill it. The queerest thing was its colour and aspect, for it had blue wings and was in every way a duplicate of my hybrid envoys of death. How could it possibly be one of these, in fact? I certainly don't know. I disposed of all the hybrids, stained and unstained, that I didn't send to Moore, and can't recall any instance of escape. Can this be wholly an hallucination? Or could any of the specimens that escaped in Brooklyn when Moore was bitten have found their way back to Africa? There was that absurd story of the blue fly that waked Dyson when Moore died, but, after all, the survival and return of some of the things is not possible. It is perfectly plausible that the blue should stick to their wings, too, for the pigment I devised was almost as good as tattooing for permanence. By elimination, that would seem to be the only rational explanation for this thing though it's very curious that the fellow has come as far south as this. Possibly it's some hereditary homing instinct inherent in the Tzitzit strain. After all, that side of him belongs to South Africa. I must be on my guard against a bite. Of course, the original venom, if this is actually one of the flies that escaped from war, was worn out ages ago. But the fellow must have fed as he flew back from America, and he may well have come through Central Africa and picked up a fresh infectivity. Indeed, that's more probable than not, for the popolis half of his heredity would naturally take him back to Uganda and to all the trypanosome germs. I still have some of the trapeosom I'd left. I couldn't bear to destroy my medicine case, incriminating though it may be, but since reading up on the subject, I'm not so sure about the drug's action as I was. It gives one a fighting chance, certainly it saved Gamba, but there's always a large probability of failure. It's devilish queer that this fly should have happened to come into my room, of all places in the wide expanse of Africa. It seems to strain coincidence to the breaking point. I suppose that if it comes again, I shall certainly kill it. I'm surprised that it escaped me today, for ordinarily these fellows are extremely stupid and easy to catch. Can it be pure illusion, after all? Certainly the heat is getting me of late, as it never did before, even up around Uganda. January 16th Am I going insane? The fly came again this noon and acted so anomalously that I can't make heads nor tail of it. Only delusion on my part could account for what that buzzing pest seemed to do. It appeared from nowhere, and went straight to my bookshelf, circling again and again, to front a copy of Moore's Diptera of Central and Southern Africa. Now and then it would light on top of the back of the volume, and occasionally it would dart forward toward me, and retreat before I could strike at it with a folded paper. Such cunning is unheard of among these notoriously stupid African diptera. For nearly half an hour I tried to get the cursed thing, but at last it darted out the window through a hole in the screen I hadn't noticed. At times I fancied it deliberately mocked me by coming within reach of my weapon and then skilfully sidestepping as I struck out. I must keep a tight hold of my consciousness. January 17th Either I am mad or the world is in the grip of some sudden suspension of the laws of probability as we know them. That damnable fly came in from somewhere just before noon, and commenced buzzing around the copy of Moore's Diptera on my shelf again. I tried to catch it, and again yesterday's experience was repeated. Finally, the pest made for the open inkwell on my table and dipped itself in, just the legs and thorax, keeping its wings clear. Then it sailed up to the ceiling and lit and began crawling around in a curved patch, leaving a trail of ink. After a time, it hopped a bit and made a single ink spot unconnected with the trail. Then it dropped squarely in front of my face, and buzzed out of sight before I could get it. Something about this whole business struck me as monstrously sinister and abnormal, more so than I could explain to myself. When I looked at the ink trail on the ceiling from different angles, it, it seemed more and more familiar to me, and it dawned upon me suddenly that it formed an absolutely perfect question mark. What device could be more malignly appropriate? It's a wonder I didn't faint. So far, the hotel attendants haven't noticed it. I have not seen the fly this afternoon and evening, but I am keeping my inkwell securely closed. I think my extermination of more must be preying on my brain and giving me morbid hallucinations. Perhaps there is no fly at all? January 18th To what strange hell of living nightmare am I plunged? What happened today is something which could not normally happen, and yet a hotel attendant has seen the marks on the ceiling. I, I can see reality. About eleven o'clock this morning, I was writing on a manuscript. Something darted down to the inkwell for a second and flashed aloft again before I could see what it was. Looking up, I saw that hellish fly on the ceiling, as it had been before, crawling along and tracing another trail of curves and turns. There was nothing I could do, but I folded a newspaper in readiness to get the creature, if it should fly near enough. When it had made several turns on the ceiling, it flew into a dark corner and disappeared. And as I looked upward at the doubly defaced plastering, I saw that the new ink trail was that of a huge and unmistakable figure five. For a time I was almost unconscious from a wave of nameless menace that I could not account. Then I summoned up my resolution and took an active step. Going out to a chemist's shop, I purchased some gum and other things necessary for preparing a sticky trap, also a duplicate inkwell. Returning to my room, I filled the new inkwell with the sticky mixture and set it where the old one had been, leaving it open, Then I tried to concentrate my mind on some reading. About three o'clock I heard the accursed insect again and saw it circling around the new inkwell. It descended to the sticky surface but did not touch it and afterwards sailed straight at me, retreating before I could hit it. Then it went to the bookshelf and circled around Moore's treatise. There was something diabolic and profound about the way the intruder hovered near that book. The worst part was the last, Leaving Moore's book, the insect flew over to the open window and began beating itself rhythmically against the wire screen. There would be a series of beats, then a series of equal length, and another pause, and so on. Something about this performance held me motionless for a couple of moments. But after that, I went over to the window and tried to kill the noxious thing. As usual, no use. It merely flew across the room to a lamp, and began beating the same tattoo on the stiff cardboard shade. I felt a vague desperation and proceeded to shut all the doors as well as the window whose screen had the imperceptible hole. It seemed very necessary to kill this persistent thing, whose hounding was rapidly unseating my mind. Then, unconsciously counting, I began to notice that each of its series of beatings contained just five strokes. Five. The same number that the thing had traced in ink on the ceiling that morning. Could there be any conceivable connection? The notion was maniacal, for that would argue a human intellect and a knowledge of written figures in that hybrid fly. A human intellect. Did that not take one back to the most primitive legends of the Uganda blacks? And yet there was that infernal cleverness in eluding me, as contrasted with the normal stupidity of the breed. As I laid aside my folded paper and sat down in growing horror, the insect buzzed aloft and disappeared through a hole in the ceiling where the radiator pipe went to the room above. The departure did not soothe me, for my mind had started on a train of wild and terrible reflections if this fly had a human intelligence where did that intelligence come from was there any truth in the native notion that these creatures acquire the personality of their victims after the latter's death if so whose personality did this fly bear i had reasoned out that it must be one of those which escaped from moor at the time he was bitten was this the envoy of death which had bitten Moore? If so, what did it want with me anyway? In cold perspiration, I remembered the actions of the fly that had bitten Barta when Barta died. Had its own personality been displaced by that of the dead victim? Then there was that sensational news account of the fly that woke Dyson when Moore died. As for that fly that was hounding me, could it be that? A vindictive human personality drove it on? How it hovered around Moore's book. I refused to think any farther than that. All at once I began to feel sure that the creature was indeed infected, and in the most virulent way. With a malign deliberation so evident in every act, it must surely have charged itself on purpose with the deadliest bacilli in all of Africa. My mind, thoroughly shaken, was now taking the thing's human qualities for granted. I now telephoned the desk clerk and asked for a man to stop up the radiator pipe hole and other possible chinks in my room. I spoke of being tormented by flies, and he seemed to be quite sympathetic. When the man came, I showed him the ink marks on the ceiling, which he recognized without difficulty. So they were real, the resemblance to a question mark and a five puzzled and fascinated him. In the end, he stopped up all the holes he could find and mended my window screen so that now I can keep both windows open. He evidently thought me a bit eccentric, especially since no insects were in sight while he was in there. But I am past minding that. So far, the fly has not appeared this evening. God knows what it is, what it wants, or what will become of me. January 19th I am utterly engulfed in horror. The thing has touched me. Something monstrous and demoniac is at work around me, and I am a helpless victim. In the morning, when I returned from breakfast, that wicked fiend from hell brushed into the room over my head and began beating itself against the window screen as it did yesterday. This time, though, Each series of beats contained only four strokes. I rushed to the window and tried to catch it, but it escaped as usual and flew over to Moore's treatise, where it buzzed around mockingly. Its vocal equipment is limited, but I noticed that its spells of buzzing came in groups of four. By this time I was most certainly mad, for I called out to it, Moore, Moore, for God's sake, what do you want? When I did so, the creature suddenly ceased its circling and flew toward me and made a low graceful dip in the air, somehow suggestive of a bow. Then it flew back to the book. At least I seemed to see it do all this, though I am trusting my senses no longer. And then the worst thing happened. I had left my door open, hoping the monster would leave if I could not catch it. But about eleven-thirty, I shut the door, "'concluding it was gone. "'Then I settled down to read just at noon, "'and I felt a tickling on the back of my neck, "'but when I put my hand up, nothing was there. "'And in a moment I felt the tickling again, "'and before I could move, "'that nameless spawn of hell "'sailed into view from behind me "'and another of those mocking graceful dips in the air "'and flew out through the keyhole, "'which I had never dreamed was large enough "'to allow its passage.' The thing had touched me. I I could not doubt it. It had touched me without injuring me. Then I remembered, in a sudden cold fright, that Moore had been bitten on the back of the neck at noon. No invasion since then, but I have stuffed all the keyholes with paper and shall have a folded paper ready for use whenever I open the door to leave or enter. January 20th. I cannot yet fully believe in the supernatural, yet I fear, nonetheless, that I am lost. This business is too much for me. Just before today, noon, that devil appeared outside the window and repeated its beating operations, but this time in a series of three. When I went to the window, it flew out of sight. I still have resolution enough to take one more defensive step. Removing both window screens, I coated them with my sticky preparation, the one I used in the inkwell, outside and inside, and set them back in place. If that creature attempts another tattoo, it will be its last. The rest of the day I was left in peace. Can I weather this experience without becoming a maniac? January twenty first. I am on board the train for Blomfontein. I am routed. The thing is winning. It has a diabolic intelligence against which all my devices are powerless. It appeared outside the window this morning, but did not touch the sticky screen. Instead, it sheered off without lighting and began buzzing around in circles, two at a time followed by a pause in the air. After several of these performances, it flew off out of sight over the roofs of the city. My nerves are just about at the breaking point, for these suggestions of numbers are capable of hideous interpretation. Monday the thing dwelt on the figure five. Tuesday it was four. Wednesday it was three. And out today, two? Five, four, three, two—what can this be, save some monstrous and unthinkable counting off of days? For what purpose? Only the evil powers of the universe can know. I I spent all the afternoon packing and arranging about my trunks, and now I have taken the Night Express for Lomfontein. Flight may be useless, but what else can one do? January 22nd. "'Settled at the Orange Hotel, Blomfontein. "'A comfortable and excellent place. "'But the horror has followed me. "'I had shut all the doors and windows, "'stopped all the keyholes, "'looked for any possible chinks, "'and pulled down the shades. "'But just before noon, "'I heard a dull tap on one of the window screens. "'I waited.' And after a long pause, another tap came. A second pause, and still another single tap. Raising the shade, I saw that accursed fly as I had expected. It described one large, slow circle of the air, and then flew out of sight. I was left as weak as a rag and had to rest on the couch. One. This was clearly the burden of the monster's present message. One tap, one circle. Did this mean one more day for me before some unthinkable doom? Ought I to flee again, or entrench myself here by sealing up the room? After an hour's rest, I felt able to act and ordered a large. "'reserved supply of canned and packaged foods, "'also littered and towels, sent in. "'Tomorrow I shall not under any circumstances "'open any crevice of door or window. "'When the food and linen came, "'the black looked at me queerly, "'but I no longer cared how eccentric or insane I may appear. "'I'm hounded by powers worse than the ridicule of mankind.' Having received my supplies, I went over every square millimeter of the walls and stopped up every microscopic opening I could find. At last, I feel able to get some real sleep. Editor's Note The handwriting here becomes irregular and nervous and very difficult to decipher. January 23rd It is just before noon, and I feel that something very terrible is about to happen. I didn't sleep as late as I expected, even though I got almost no sleep on the train the night before. I was up early, and have had trouble getting concentrated on anything, reading or writing. That slow, deliberate counting off of days is too much for me. I, I don't know which has gone wild, Nature or my head until about eleven I did very little except walk up and down the room Then I heard a rustle among the food packages brought in yesterday and that demon fly crawled out before my eyes I-, I grabbed something flat and made passes at the thing despite my panic fear but with no more effect than usual as I advanced that blue winged horror retreated, as usual, to the table where I had piled my books and lit for a second on Moore's Diptera of Central and Southern Africa. Then, as I followed, it flew over to the mantel clock and lit on the dial near the figure twelve. Before I could think up another move, it had begun to deliberately crawl around the dial very slowly and deliberately, in the direction of the hands. It it passed under the minute hand, and curved down and up, uh, passed under the hour hand, and finally came to stop exactly at the figure twelve. As it hovered there, it fluttered its wings with buzzing noises. Is this a portent of some kind? I'm getting as superstitious as the blacks. The hour is now a little after eleven. Is 12 the end, then? I have just one last resort, brought to my mind through utter desperation. I wish I had thought of it before. Recalling that my medicine case contains both of the substances necessary to generate chlorine gas, I have resolved to fill the room with that lethal vapor, asphyxiating the fly while protecting myself with an ammonia-sealed handkerchief tied over my face. Fortunately, I have a good supply of ammonia. This crude mask will probably neutralize the acrid chlorine fumes till the insect is dead, or at least helpless enough to crush. But I must be quick. How can I be sure that the thing will not suddenly dart from me before my preparations are complete? I ought not to be stopping to write in this journal. Later. Both chemicals... Hydrochloric acid and manganese dioxide are on the table, all ready to mix now. I've tied the handkerchief over my nose and mouth and have a bottle of ammonia ready to keep it soaked until the chlorine is gone. I have battened down both windows, but I don't like the actions of that hybrid demon. It stays on the clock and is very slowly crawling around backwards from the twelve mark to meet the gradually advancing minute hand is this to be my last entry in this journal it would be useless to try to deny what i suspect too often a grain of incredible truth lurks behind the wildest most fantastic of legends is the personality of henry moore trying to get at me through this blue-winged devil is this the fly that bit him and in that consequence absorbed his consciousness when he died if so and if it bites me Will my own personality displace Moore's and enter that buzzing body when I die of the bite later on? Perhaps, though. Perhaps. Though I need not die even if it gets me. There is always a chance of trapersemide, and I regret nothing. Moore had to die. Be the outcome what it will. Slightly later... The fly has paused on the clock dial near the 45-minute mark. It is now 11.30. I am saturating the handkerchief over my face with ammonia and keeping the bottle handy for further applications. This will be the final entry before I mix the acid and manganese and liberate the chlorine. I ought not to be losing the time, but it steadies me to get things down on paper. But for this record... I'd have lost all my reason long ago. The fly seems to be getting restless, and the minute hand is approaching it. Now for the chlorine. End of the journal. On Sunday, January 24th, 1932, after repeated knocking had failed to gain any response, from the eccentric man in room 303 of the Orange Hotel. A black attendant entered with a pass key, and at once fled, shrieking downstairs, to tell the clerk what he had found. The clerk, after notifying the police, summoned the manager, and the latter accompanied Constable DeWitt, Coroner Bogart, and Dr. Van Cullen to the fatal room. The occupant lay dead on the floor, his face upward, And bound with a handkerchief which smelled strongly of ammonia. Under this covering the features showed an expression of stark, utter fear which transmitted itself to the observers. On the back of the neck Doctor van Coolen found a virulent insect bite, dark red, with a purple ring around it, which suggested a tsetse fly or something less innocuous. An examination indicated the death must be due to heart failure, induced by sheer fright rather than to the bite, though a subsequent autopsy indicated that the germ of the trypanosome had been introduced into the system. On the table were several objects, a worn, leather, blank book containing the journal just described, a pen, writing pad, an open inkwell, a doctor's medicine case with the initials TS, Marked in gold, bottles of ammonia and hydrochloric acid, and a tumbler about a quarter full of black manganese dioxide. The ammonia bottle demanded a second look because something besides the fluid seemed to be in it. Looking closer, Coroner Bogart saw that the alien occupant was a fly. It seemed to be some sort of a hybrid with vague Tsetse affiliations. But its wings, showing faintly blue despite the action of the strong ammonia, were a complete puzzle. Something about it waked a faint memory of newspaper reading and Dr. Van Cullen, a memory which the journal was soon to confirm. Its lower part seemed to have been stained with ink so thoroughly that even the ammonia had not bleached them. Possibly it had fallen at one time into the inkwell, though the wings were untouched. But how had it managed to fall into the narrow-necked ammonia bottle? It was as if the creature had deliberately crawled in and committed suicide. The strangest thing of all was what Constable DeWitt noticed on the smooth white ceiling overhead as his eyes roved about curiously. At his cry, the other three followed his gaze. Even Dr. Van Cullen who had for some time been thumbing through the worn leather book with an expression of mixed horror, fascination, and incredulity. The thing on the ceiling was a series of shaky, straggling ink tracks, such as might have been made by the crawling of some ink-drenched insect. At once, everyone thought of the stains on the fly so oddly found in the ammonia bottle. But these were no ordinary ink tracks. Even a first glance revealed something hauntingly familiar about them, and closer inspection brought gasps of startled wonder from all four observers. Coroner Bogart instinctively looked around the room to see if there were any conceivable instrument or arrangement of piled-up furniture which could make it possible for these straggling marks to have been drawn by human agency. Finding nothing of the sort, he resumed his curious and almost awestruck upward glance for beyond a doubt these inky sponges form definite letters of the alphabet letters coherently arranged in English words the doctor was the first to make them out clearly and the others listened breathlessly as he recited the insane sounding message so incredibly scrawled in a place no human hand could reach. See my journal. It got me first. I died. Then I saw I was in it. The blacks are right. Strange powers in nature. Now I will drown what is left. Presently amidst the puzzled hush that followed, Dr. Van Kulen commenced reading aloud from the worn leather journal. The End We hope you've enjoyed this Uvula Audio production of Winged Death by H.P. Lovecraft and Hazel Heald. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio just do a search for Uvila Audio on Facebook, or you can do it from the main Uvila Audio webpage. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcasts for free from there. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links at uvulaaudio.com. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you.